Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us today for Venminder's Thought Leadership Interview Series. I'm Hillary Jewhurst, third-party risk evangelist and advocate with Venminder. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Michael Kosman. Michael is an accomplished business and community leader who currently is the Chief Operating Officer and Chief Compliance Officer of Asperient, a leading independent wealth management firm headquartered in Los Angeles, California. Michael has a degree in business economics from UC Santa Barbara and received his CPA license in 1991 while launching his career at Pricewaterhouse. He has over 30 years of broad-based business experience and operations, finance, human resources, technology, taxation, regulatory environments, and strategic planning. Michael was COO at one of Experience two founding firms and was Experience chief financial officer from formation in 2008 until 2012. He now serves on the firm's executive committee, investment policy board, and cybersecurity committee, and chairs both the operating and compensation committees. He leads the team of directors responsible for investment operations, technology, human resources, and regulatory compliance on a day-to-day -day basis. Michael also has a passion for community service, holding board positions with Berkeley Repertory Theater, DIFA, which is Design Industries Foundation Fighting AIDS in San Francisco, the National AIDS Memorial Grove, and Frameline Pictures. He was also a founding board member of ANSA, the AIDS Nutrition Services Alliance, which is now the premier international voice for nutrition service programs, and devoted six years of his professional career to Project Open Hand in San Francisco. In recognition of all his efforts, March 31st, 2000 was proclaimed to be Michael Kosman Day in San Francisco by Mayor Willie Brown. Welcome, Michael. Oh, thank you, Hillary. Happy to be here. We are happy to have you. So let's just jump in here. So with all this experience you have, tell me how you got involved with third-party risk management. Um, Third-party risk management is something that has really come around um, to be more on the forefront in the past, let's say, 10 years or so. Um, and I got involved because of my role as the Chief Compliance Officer. Um, and initially, we had the Securities and Exchange Commission because we are a registered investment advisor governed by the SEC. Um, we had the SEC... Um, looking over our shoulders and putting out a lot of rules and rulemaking uh, that was focused on protecting clients uh, and protecting client information. Um, and we, of course, were required to comply with that rulemaking. And a lot of the information that uh, we have on our clients is, in fact, not stored by us, um, but by third parties. So that was the initial uh, uh, way that I got involved in third-party risk management and, and its importance to our organization. Uh, we uh, then launched uh, mutual funds, um, and then we had FINRA looking over our shoulder. They have their own rules. And then, of course, along came CCPA. Uh, and with all of these things happening in our organization, it was just simply impossible not to turn some focus to uh, third-party risk management. Great. So were you surprised at the complexity involved in third-party risk management? I, I was. I think when we first uh, started to explore this area, we all thought that it was going to be really focused on data um, and pretty quickly learned that it involves everything from 
not just data, but understanding policies and procedures at third parties, how they protect information uh, in transit, at risk, even down to how they do onboarding and offboarding of their employees uh, to understand the security measures around that. Um, and then, of course, contract provisions also come into play, which can be another area that is pretty challenging in third-party risk management. Yeah, so as you got started and you learned more about everything that was involved, what were some of your initial challenges just getting the program rolled out? Um, <laughs> well, initial challenges that we had was just our own operational processes internally. Uh, and frankly, getting responses from third parties. Um, so uh, initially, we used um, a word form um, that was fillable and it was relatively easy to use. Um, but we would have come back to us and say, we don't want to fill out your form. Here's a standard response we use. I remember one of them actually came in Excel. Uh, and they say, oh, here you go. You figure out if this is answering all your questions or not. So it was just a very complex process um, that got us what we needed, but took a lot of human intervention. Um, and so that was probably one of the initial challenges that we had that was really moved us to wanting to have a more standardized way to do this and have it supported with an application and an outsourced team like you guys have. Um, uh, Initial challenges. Another one was um, needing different approaches for different vendors. Um, we had Worm that didn't necessarily apply to all types of vendors. Um, and when we then started to drill into um, the scoping and analyzing our current vendors and assessing risk in each of them, um, we really needed to move to something that was more systematized. For example, we may we may work with a relatively small firm that has a lot of sensitive information that we want to control or understand how they control it. Um, that's one thing. But we also work with firms like Charles Schwab that is highly regulated, um, has far more resources for something like this than we do. And so in that sense, presents a lower risk, uh, but one that we need to nonetheless spend time on. So, and, and, you know, and frankly, everything from physical security um, because people have stuff on their desks. So um, we really needed to um, approach it with uh, sort of a, a vendor by vendor or more groups and types of vendors uh, approach. Uh, that's one of the big challenges, just understanding everything uh, as well as developing our own policies and procedures internally. Great. So it does sound like you started out like many other firms taking this journey, but with the asset management firms, what are some of the unique challenges you have regarding third-party risk management compared to, say, a traditional consumer bank? Um, we, I can say that we have some challenges that are similar. Um, I am not as close to the banking industry as I am to my own. Um, however, I can say that one of the challenges that we have in terms of data that we have uh, is that we know a lot 
about our clients that presumably a bank is not going to know. We are essentially the family's CFO. So we might work with a family that has 100, 200, 300 million dollars. Uh, and we work with multiple generations of the family. We know all of the entities that own uh, their three and four homes or the trusts or the foundations. Like we know so much information uh, about a family um, and that's necessary for us to serve them. Uh, and I think so in that sense, we have a broader scope of information to protect uh, than I would presume consumer bank does. I think we also have uh, a unique challenge in how we serve clients uh, and what clients expect of us. Uh, whether that's in our family office group or in our group that we call total wealth management, clients expect us to have all this information and they expect their team to have all the information. And that is a, a particularly unique uh, approach. So when, for example, if a client uh, is working with their advisor and somebody on the team is in touch with the client, they're expecting that person in touch with them to have access to the same kind of information that we and so we serve clients is, I think, particularly unique. And as that connects to third parties, most of that data is actually held at third parties. So the way that we achieve that service model is, for example, with deep use of Salesforce, or as I mentioned earlier, uh, working with uh, custodians and broker dealers like Schwab and Fidelity. So then we get into, well, where is that data? Um, so we have a third party involved in the Salesforce situation where we've contracted with Salesforce uh, to use their application. But how do we know where Salesforce is storing that data? Um, we work and, and, and Salesforce in that sense is um, both a good and a bad example because they own their own and control their own uh, servers and where everything is. But for many, many organizations that we work with, for example, another firm we work with is called Black Diamond, uh, where we do all of our portfolio accounting and reporting and management. Um, in that is client names and account numbers, values of their securities. Black Diamond outsources their servers to another fourth party. So how do you know on the server farm that Black Diamond is utilizing what's going on there, who has access to it, how it's protected both at, re at rest and in transit, um, et cetera, et cetera. So um, in that sense, we are um, somewhat in that, have that fourth party risk that comes into the situation that is also complicated by basically how we serve our clients. Um, one of the other challenges that we have, which I think you would find perhaps at most asset management firms, but certainly firms of our size and certainly smaller ones, um, is that our most privileged users are often the most junior, someone who, for example, needs to scan documents that come into the organization, needs to be able to put that information um, in client uh, folders across the firm. So how does that then translate into issues of third-party risk management? Um, and in that sense, even, you know, it occurs to me how we do background checks on our employees. And there's another third party involved in that whole ecosystem. Um, that's a really important uh, part of what we do and how we protect client information. Um, of course, we have the expectations of regulatory agencies. Banks have this as well. But as I mentioned earlier, um, we have both the SEC and FINRA um, to, to deal with. 
Uh, and I know banks, obviously, depending on the size of them, are going to have similar types of organizations looking over their shoulders. So it's a little bit unique that some of the regulatory agencies and what they're looking at might be different from industry to industry, from banking to wealth management. Great. That's really interesting. When you talk about the number of parties you have just to run your business, I think that fourth parties are traditionally an area of concern, but not to the level that maybe the asset management firm would undertake. So there, there's a lot of complexity there. But Yeah, when- and that can even come through other, I mean, this is not industry unique, but if you think about um, having an office and an office building and a landlord and the landlord hires the cleaning company, well, that cleaning company is then a fourth party who's coming into your physical space and there may be things on your desk that the employee who's told to put it in the drawer before they go home didn't do that. And so physical security is a really important part of this as well. I think we often focus just on, um, you know, soft data security, but hard data security is a, a part of this picture as well. That, no, that's a great observation. I mean, I think one of the biggest challenges that all companies have is really just thinking and identifying all the risks out there. Sounds like you guys have done a great job being thorough and are constantly aware of what's coming your way. But I wanted to shift to a different question here. One of the problems with third-party risk management programs is a lot of the, the managers is the challenge of getting the first line or the business owner to actually do the work related to third-party risk management. So first, I want to know if you had that challenge or if you've experienced that yourself. Um, yes, we, of course, have that challenge. Um, this, is, this is the type of work that is really important, and nobody really appreciates the importance of it until something goes wrong. And so I think one of the ways that you can overcome that challenge uh, is with stories. People relate to actual things that have happened and get them to understand the risks. If you can make those stories personal, um, that's even better. Well, we have one in the world that we live in. What was our latest one with T-Mobile? Um, you know, you can, you, people can connect the dots uh, to the work that we're doing with third-party risk management. Um, and then they can also relate to it in stories that we have in our own firm. Um, as, I, as I mentioned, we, we're not unique. We've had situations where a third party um, had an incident occur. And I think the thing that's most motivating when that happens is our role in communicating with the clients. And, and this may be somewhat unique um, with uh, wealth management firms. So when we use a third party, for example, to run a separately managed account, um, and they have some sort of data incident, they have to inform us, they have to inform our mutual clients, but we also have an obligation to inform our clients. So what do our clients hear? Our clients hear 
this third party that you hired screwed something up. That's your fault. And I, I mean, I hate to put it in sort of those basic terms, but that's really the, I think, one of the motivating kind of fact patterns is to be able to go to business unit managers and frankly to client relationship managers and say, this is part of the reason we do this because when this happens, guess who gets to be in touch with the client and on? You do. And then all of a sudden they appreciate, oh, wait a minute, that's not a phone call I want to have to make. What are we doing to protect our clients? This conversation is most often about our clients but it's also about our employees. We have so much information about our employees and protecting that is really important as well. Um, but that's, I think, one of the ways that we've approached getting over these challenges, tell stories, get people to relate to it personally um, and involve them in both the process and the correction of problems when they occur. I think that's great. Um, you know, I do find that people can relate when you utilize, hey, look what happened to your cell phone account. How did you feel? And then transfer that information out to how do we feel when we have to inform our clients? What is your role in that? So I think you've really tapped on something that goes beyond just saying, hey, you have accountability and a racy chart to really making sure they understand on a personal level what that means for them in their role. Yeah. So and there there is another component of it that is a little bit of of the the stick, if you will. Um, if there's anything we learned along this process, we learned a lot in, in this process. But it is a function that really does need internal oversight. Um, you you can't just put in place a third party risk management program and expect people to just do it themselves. So we do have someone in our finance department oversight on the entire process um, that who holds people accountable to it. Uh, we've put some controls in place. Um, you know, for example, a vendor doesn't get paid unless they've gone through this process and somebody will trip over that once and they don't trip over it again. <laughs> um, <laughs> so there is a little bit carrot the stick that has to happen here you know get people to appreciate the downside consequence but also make it hard for them to get their jobs done without uh, being part of this process that's great information so michael as we've been going through your approach to third-party risk management it sounds like your firm has done an incredibly uh, thorough job of making sure that your program's in place we're still in the middle of a pandemic. Um, so how can you share any adjustments you had to make related to your third-party risk management at the beginning of the pandemic and how it has influenced what your current or future processes look like? It's a really good question that, frankly, I think the jury is still out on. We're, we're still sort of figuring this out. Um, if there's been any saving grace to the whole thing, having systematized this prior to the pandemic hitting has been extremely helpful. Um, if we were still dealing with a lot of paper um, and or the need to physically be together um, on uh, this vendor management program, um, it would be a very challenging. I think it'd be hard to be putting some of this stuff in place um, during the pandemic. 
Um, so we were a bit fortunate that we had this in place uh, prior to it. As we think about the future, uh, sort of post-pandemic, if we ever get there, uh, and how this is all going to be impacted, I'd say the jury is still out. Um, but that's not to say that we aren't already looking at ways that we have to redesign some of the controls in vendor risk management, um, and especially at uh, understanding what's going on at some of the larger firms that we work with. Uh, we work with some very large custodians uh, and broker dealers across the country, uh, and many of their employees are working from home. So while we used to have our policies and procedures designed with the idea that all of that work that was occurring uh, was in an office where there are certain controls and supervisors, et cetera, um, uh, controlling the, the risk at that third party, now you have the added element of someone working from home where there could be people looking over their shoulder, there could be people listening to conversations. Um, and as we've touched on uh, earlier, there is the added um, uh, element of physical security. So for example, one of the large custodians that we work with has put in place uh, controls that prevent their employees from printing anything from home when they are on a work computer um, and they can't move things from a work environment to a home environment in order to do so. So that's controlling one of the uh, aspects of physical security. So someone's not printing something out that might have uh, sensitive data on it uh, that is then perhaps ending up in trash uh, and we know what can happen there. So I think one of the, one of the big uh, issues in post-pandemic vendor risk management is the fact that people are working it from home and what sort of new risks does that present to us as we think about that environment. Oh, that's absolutely true. I, I think we're all discovering what this will mean as we discover it and the pandemic goes on. So I do have one last question for you, and it is because you're a C-level executive, I hear from so many of our clients and organizations that they don't feel that third-party risk management is getting enough attention from senior management and the board. So in your role as a C-level executive, what strategies can you recommend to these folks to secure that engagement and involvement from the top of the organization? It's a great question. Um, I would say that it, it, the, the tone and the culture comes from the top. Um, and so even though um, I sit in the, the COO chair, there is no substitute for having the CEO have uh, a, a really supportive attitude and approach towards this. Um, and in our organization, I'm happy to say, we, we do have that. Uh, again, being uh, in a highly regulated organization, uh, there, is, <laughs> there is the uh, the arrow in the quiver that I have to say, look, everybody, the regulators are expecting this. And here's what happened on our last exam and the questions they asked and what they uh, expected of us and how we responded to it. So there is a little bit of value in the, we don't have a choice, we have to do this. Um, and then, as I mentioned earlier in our conversation, um, another way to get the, the C-suite involved 
and on board is with these stories. Um, we, we are organized such that we have a chief practice officer. That person's role is to oversee all of the advisors in the organization from our most senior advisors down to our most junior associates, ultimately report up to that person. And again, when I go to that person and say, look, we need to be doing this because here's the downside. When something goes wrong at this vendor or this sub-advisor or wherever, and we have to talk to our clients uh, about what happened and what went wrong with someone that we hired, let's make sure we're prepared to do that. And I don't think that's something you wanna do. So let's make sure we have as many controls in place to avoid that as possible. So again, it goes back to that, the, the, the communicating stories, getting people to understand what the downside consequences are um, and appreciate it uh, and keeping that front of mind. I think that's another piece I've yet to sort of bring up in our conversation is how to sustain attention to this. I'm sure Hillary, you've um, experienced with some of the clients that you work with that when something goes wrong, all of a sudden this gets of a lot of attention. And yep. then that fades and a month goes by and two months go by and you're, you're, and I've had to manage these situations where I'm reporting back to my executive team about where we are with um, any particular response to some sort of incident. Uh, and every month that goes by, it becomes less and less a big deal. So how you sustain that, uh, that attention, I think is really important. Um, and one of the ways that we do that at Asperian is we keep um, the reporting in front of the executive committee. So we have reporting that goes to our executive committee that says, now here's how many vendors we um, think are high enough risk that they're managed in our systems. Uh, how often we're paying attention to them, um, how they are ranking uh, in terms of our risk assessment and their responses. And uh, that goes in uh, to uh, a quarter. Actually, no, that goes in semi-annually um, to our executive committee so that they um, have visibility to it and, and it keeps it front of mind. Uh, I think that's an important part for our listeners to say, uh, you know, once I put this in place, how do I keep people's attention on it? No, Absolutely. Well, Michael, it has been so great having you with us today. Uh, it's really been a pleasure. And thank you. It's been great. I've enjoyed the conversation. I know some people can think this is really boring stuff, but it's actually not. And it's really important for us to uh, be paying attention to it. Uh, it provides a lot of value to our clients, our customers, our people, um, our industry, our organizations, the health and well-being of our companies. Um, it's a really, really important thing that we do. And I'm happy to be here today and chat with you about it. Well, I'd like to thank all of our listeners for joining us today. And special thanks to Michael Kosman and Experient for sharing his information and suggestions for third-party risk management. Make sure you subscribe to the Thought Leaders uh, interview series for more information and have a super day. <laughs>